That's what you did. All right, I'm not going through the introduction, so if you didn't hear it, sorry. Yeah, jerk. So if God doesn't speak to you tonight, we have the problem. It's sitting back there with ramen on his head. Yeah. Nobody, nobody puts baby in a corner. Oh, my gosh. All right, so let, let's back it up. We'll, we'll go back to that Matthew reference. So the Matthew reference where, God, where Jesus is telling us to go, the Great Commission. All right, so a simple word. For the opposite of that is complacency, and that's assuming God has you right where he wants you and it's not costing you a thing. And I ask you guys, be honest. Think about yourselves. Is your Christian life, is it costing you anything? Or are you smooth sailing right now, waiting for God to send you somewhere, rather than doing what Jesus told us in Matthew 28 to go, and even in Acts 1.8? So how do we combat that? How do we combat that mind of thinking? We know a lot of stuff about the Bible. No, lastly, how do we shift our mindset to see the things the way God sees them. All right, so the first subject we're going to look at is salvation. And when I say salvation, I'm not talking about, you know, how to get saved. But I do want to make a point. If you're in here and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your sins, for your whole eternity, because you cannot make it based on good works, this message won't make a lot of sense to you. So I want you to really think, have you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you accepted him? Have you accepted that free gift, that payment for your sins? If you haven't, if that's something you need to discuss later after class, leaders are always here to talk about that. But if you have, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're confident in your eternity that when you die, you're going to spend eternity in heaven, then I want your ears to perk up. Flip over to Luke chapter 14. Very practical parable spoken by Jesus here in Luke. A familiar parable. I'll expound on it a little bit. All right, everybody there? Verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, Jesus, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So is Jesus Christ your number one in your life? All right, first question. Verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. How much does your salvation cost you? Are you bearing your cross? Are you letting it sit in the closet while you coast by? Verse 28. And this is the meat. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Last happily after he hath laid the foundation... And is not able to finish it, all that be all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So what's going on here? So if you walk by a building site and you see a, a foundation starting to get dug up and they're laying some cinder blocks or whatever, I don't know the whole process, but they start building it and then a week goes by and it doesn't change. Two weeks go by and it doesn't change. A month goes by, two years go by. What do you guys start thinking? Well, I don't, ran, yeah, ran out of money. Lazy what? Construction Lazy construction? <laughs> what idiot planned that job? I mean, the endless things that you, you look at that and you're like, who thought that one through? Well, that looks, that looks ridiculous. You can't use that for anything. You can't use that as a house. How silly. What a waste. What a waste of all those resources. Those could have gone into something else. 
And unfortunately, that can be a beautiful picture or an ugly picture, if you will, of a lot of Christian lives. Jesus Christ comes in. He's our foundation. He's our cornerstone. He comes into your life. He saves you from your sin, from your eternity in hell. And then that's it. We lay the foundation. We start the building a little bit, and then that's it. And then people walk by, whether it be in the church or even out in the world. You claim to be a Christian. You go to church, but they look at you and you're like, what a, what a mockery. You say this, but look at all these decisions you're making. Look at the lifestyle you're living. Do you really believe the things of this book? And your life becomes a mockery. Now, I ask you a question. How many of you want that to be true about yourself? How many of you want to make a mockery of Jesus Christ? When you think about what he did for you. You know, I loved in Stephen's prayer when he's talking about all those things of the gospel, all the truths, all the things that Jesus went through, the humiliation, the dying on the cross. And even I think of him up in heaven right now and people bashing his name and, you know, saying, well, the times are just going to continue the way they've always been, mocking the things of this Bible and how he patiently waits up there, not willing that any should perish. The amount of love and patience that that takes. And we have the audacity to let his foundation be laid in us and then just walk away from it. It ought not to be the case. So from a salvation standpoint, is that you? Because salvation is so much more than just fire insurance. It's so much more than getting out of hell, although it is. Okay, it bridges that gap. But there's so much more that takes place that I think we lose sight of so quickly, so easily. All right, so number one, who we are. So at salvation, when you get saved, who do you actually become? What are some of the titles? And this list could go on forever, but these are just some of the things that God was laying on my heart that seem very pertinent. All right, so who we are. Who we are when we get saved. What's our identity? How does God see us? All right, so the first check mark. We are desired, called, known of the king. Flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Known is your blank. Second Timothy chapter one. All right, verse nine. It says, "Who hath saved us?" Talking about God, the Lord, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works. Again, not not any works. Who can quote Ephesians two eight and nine? Well, come on, this has got to be like John 3.16 to you guys. For by grace, come on, say it with enthusiasm. That's one of the most beautiful pair of verses in the Bible. There's nothing we can do. For by grace are you saved through, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's absolutely nothing we can do to earn favor with God. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And there's a lot packed into this verse. That's why I think it summarizes it. So verse 9, who hath saved us and called us. He desires us. He's calling unto us. What a humbling thing to think. I almost picture it like uh, we were reading Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, just the pursuit. And then I think of a shepherd after his sheep. Returning back, leaving the 99, going to get that one. I mean, 
the scale, the creator and sustainer of the universe, seeking to save that one, calling out to us. Man, it blows my mind. And to think that we're, that we're known of him. You know, I think of people, um, like some famous people out there. You know, Donald Trump, LeBron James, uh, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, whatever. You know, it, it's respectable to be known of those people. It doesn't hold a candle to being known of God. But we'd jump for joy. We'd be all excited if we got a phone call from them. And we often forget that we're a prayer away from talking to God. We're known of the King. We're known of Jesus Christ. The day you get saved, you become part of that family and you're known of Him. He knows everything about you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And he has a purpose for you and He had a purpose for you before the world began. He had a plan for you through Jesus Christ before the world began. How many of you in here have answered that call? And then how many of you in here are allowing that purpose and that call to be fulfilled in your life? All right, next check mark. We're not going to turn there, but old things. Be, oh, we'll just flip there. 2 Corinthians 5. Yes. Talking about being a new creature. Have somebody read verse 17. So your desire called known of the king, and then the next, you're a new creature. Completely new. Timothy. I don't know why I called you Timothy. It's because we were in Timothy. Tim, E. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And you got to realize that's how God sees us. Sometimes we can be so bogged down by our sin, by our faults, by the things that, you know, uh, so easily beset us, the sins that we just, we, we're so guilty with. God does not see us for those things. Behold, old things are, they're gone. Behold, all things have become new. That's how God sees us. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't look, see your disgusting desires. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. So is that a struggle for you guys? You know, people that struggle with depression, with guilt. See yourself for how God sees you, the grace of Jesus Christ. You're a new creature when you get saved. We can easily forget that. We can let the things that we struggle with hold us down. They can be bondage. You're freed from those chains. And then next, children of God, flip over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Get into some of the fun ones. John chapter 1, verse 12. There's some cool wording in this verse. So verse 12, but as many as received him... Okay, so the prerequisite, get saved, receive Jesus Christ. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And that's interesting. It's not saying that you become the sons of God, although you do. He gives you power to become the sons of God. It is a privilege. It's an honor to become the son of God. And we don't treat it as such. But it also requires power. When you become the son of God, it's going to cost you something. It's like way back in uh, when we were looking in Luke. There was a cost that it took to, to build that building. There's a cost to becoming the power of God, and it takes power to becoming the Son of God, and it takes power. It takes power to do the things of this book. It just does. We cannot overcome sin on in, in and of ourselves. How many of you guys in here find yourself struggling with the same thing? You got that judge's circle, the sin, repent, judge, sin, judge, repent, all the way over and over. It's exhausting. I've been there in high school. And, you can, and even as an adult, we can find ourselves slipping back into that stuff. 
It's so much easier to give that over to God because we have the power inside of us. But again, God doesn't want robots that he comes in and says, all right, I don't want you to sin. I'm going to force you to stop. He wants us to choose to love him. And there is no more beautiful picture than I'm telling you when you guys have kids. I don't want to walk home and force my kids to be happy to see me. I don't want to force my kids to have to obey me. And it breaks my heart every time I discipline them. But my, my hope is that they'll understand the consequences and choose to do the things that are right. And they'll choose to love me. There's nothing sweeter than that. And that's what God desires from us. Just like children. That's why I love how it calls us the sons of God. I'll flip over to 1 John chapter 3. Again, another familiar verse. Can I have somebody read verse 1, Sam? Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on, upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. I love the phrasing in the first part. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. It's almost like he didn't even have a word for it. He's like, what manner is this? I, 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 there is not a word in the dictionary that, that accurately defines God's love for us. It's undefinable. It's, what's that, that song? Indescribable, uncontained. You, know, you throw all these words at it, but it doesn't fully grasp the love that God has for us. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And here's why we need that power. Here's why God gives us the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. It's a tough life, but there is no greater joy that can be found. I'm telling you, it would be much, much, much tougher to be living without Jesus Christ, to be living without, without hope. And, the Satan, and, and Satan and the world and your flesh wants to deceive you into thinking it's so much easier to give in to sin. And in the moment, yeah, it might be easier to give in to that fight. But I'm telling you, the, the, the chastisement, the, the fact that you're not living practically for God is much far more miserable. Far more miserable. Children of God. So next check mark. Joint heirs with Christ. Try and wrap your mind around that. Romans chapter 8. And hold it if you got a little doohickey. Hold it in Romans chapter 8. Because we'll be coming back to that. Romans chapter 8. So again, who we are. When we get saved, who we are. Okay? We're also joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8 verse 17. And if children, so we're children of God, as it states in verse 16, just above us, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Try and wrap your mind around that one. Jesus Christ, the most innocent man that ever walked this planet, suffered the most excruciating death. We are joint heirs with him. How many of you in here, raise your hand, think we deserve that? I can't. I, I, I was reading this verse earlier today, just going through my notes, and I'm like, I, I can't even fathom that. I mean, that's, that's the definition of unconditional love. Grace and mercy that, again, what manner? We, we can't define that. But too often we forget that. We forget that in, in the depths of our sin and struggles and frustrations in this world, that right now, presently, we are joint heirs with Christ. We have a glorious inheritance waiting for us. And we can enjoy that inheritance and spirit right now. 
I think that's the biggest part that we forget. That kingdom of God, that Holy Spirit that lives inside of us right now, we can, we can live that out. We can enjoy that right now. But too often we bypass that. We're joint heirs with Christ. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. Again, hold your place in Romans 8. Look at a lot of verses today, but I think it's good to bring these things to memory. Again, another one that you really can't put the words except the Bible. 2 verse 6. And hath well, let's go up to last uh, four. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, again, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, spiritually, okay, goes back all the way to Genesis 1. Okay, physically, are we dead right now? If we're lost, if we don't know Jesus Christ, are you dead? Trick question, right? Depends what I'm asking. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created what part? Three part beings. They had a body, a soul, and a spirit. When they ate of that fruit, what happened? That spirit died. Everybody that's born into this world after Adam is born in the image of God? Adam. So they are born a two-part being and they are spiritually dead. Okay, so verse 6, or verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, spiritually we were dead when we did not know Jesus Christ, hath quickened us together. With Christ, and I know I've said this before, the quick, the, li- the only part of your nail that's alive, quickened, it means to bring to life. Jesus Christ brings our spirit to life. By grace you are saved. I love that. It's just riddled all over the Bible. It's not by works, it's grace. Even in parentheses, by grace are you saved. Verse 6, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. Sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. These, these riches, these blessings, these, this position, this status that we have in Jesus Christ. Man, if we could only grasp this every single day. I think back to, and my wife, Brandy, I don't know why I'm using weird terms like that. Brandy can attest to this. The last couple weeks at work have been insanely stressful. Just weird circumstances I'm having with coworkers, conversations. And when I lose sight of these things, it drowns me. I turn into a jerk. I become so frustrated and I just, that's all I'm thinking about. And then I get in the word and I hear from God and then Satan tries even harder. I was telling her that this morning. But just to be reminded of these things gets you through any circumstance. Just to be comforted of what Jesus Christ did for you. Just to be comforted of where you're at right now. The situations, the circumstances are not forever. This is forever. Your, posi- your position in Christ, if you are saved, that is your forever. I know I've done this in junior high, and I don't care if it's corny, it's awesome. You know, say this is your life. You know, we'll say, what do you guys want to say? 78, 9? No, my grandparents are 79. We'll say 89. I don't want my grandparents to die yet. Yeah, give them 10 years. 89 years, okay? So you're born, wah, and then you die, wah again. And then here's eternity. And it, well, there's really not a line there. Put an arrow. It just keeps on going. And you haven't even started. We're so consumed with right here. And what we don't realize is what we do here for spirit, for, for eternity affects all this. The souls of men, the word of God. 
We forget that we're going to be sitting in heavenly places, that we're there right now in God's eyes. That's how he sees us. That we're going to be ruling and reigning and judging. There's a great plan. I love the, the message that Pastor Tom did, you know, opening up in Acts, just talking about last week, the two different kingdoms and the epic plan that God has going on. You know, we can be a part of that. We are a part of that when we get saved, but we forget. We forget that we have all this waiting for us. That death is not the end. Even when we're saved, we forget that. You're joint heirs with Christ. And that's something we must never forget. And then look in verse 7. I forget who did. I don't know if it was maybe Stephen and JBI. Somebody read this verse in this context. I've never forgotten it. So verse 7. So saved from an eternity in hell. In eternity. You want to take that line? Say you're living for yourself here and you never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is going to be a long, 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 long time. Long time. And never end. Verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So I want to ask you a question. How does God, through the ages to come, through all of eternity, how does he show his grace to us? I want you to think about it. Because that's what it says, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Think about that. How does he show his exceeding riches? Think about when you're walking through heaven and then it dawns on you. You know, hell, it's a real place. Jesus Christ has the scars in his hands. Every day you're reminded of that. That's the, that's the grace. That's the exceeding riches. That's what, that's what we do not deserve. The ages to come, we will always be reminded of that. We will always be reminded that he did something that he did not have to do out of love to save us from that because he desired to have a relationship with us. It's amazing that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. There is nobody that comes close to that amount of grace. The exceeding riches of that grace, saved from eternity in hell. And then jump down to verse 10. We're also his workmanship unto good works. So knowing all that, we are his workmanship. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So if you're reminded of these things that we just went over, do you think you're more motivated to be his workmanship? You know, I want to ask you guys, how often do you read your Bibles? How often do you force yourself to be reminded of these things? We're quick forgetters. I was talking with my disciple, Ethan Frost, this afternoon before church, and I was encouraging him to get a prayer journal. I was encouraging him to journal through things because we are very forgetful, very, very forgetful. And that's something that, ashamedly, I've been challenging Brandy that we need to do. I'm challenging myself, and I'm very lazy with certain things like that because I say we need to do it, and then I forget that I said we need to do it, and then I get... It's a vicious cycle. We're very forgetful people. If we would remember these things every single day, think how much it would affect your life. I mean, what do you got to do? I know uh, something Brandy does. She sets an alarm on her phone to pray at certain times for people. I need to set an alarm on, you know, on my phone every morning, every afternoon. Why don't I do it? I'll probably do it tonight now after I'm saying it over and over and over. Just things to be reminded of. Because our flesh, that's the thing. We can't escape our flesh right now. Yeah, spiritually we are separated from it, but we still carry this dead corpse around with us. What are some practical things that you guys can do to keep these things in remembrance so that you can be his workmanship? Because that's what we're called to be. 
We're not called to go sit and enjoy the gravy train of life knowing that we're not going to spend any eternity in hell. And I'll be honest with you, if it's easy to live that way, I'd really self-examine your salvation and how genuine that is. If there's no conviction in that, I'd, you got you to gotta talk to somebody about that because it's very serious. So we are his workmanship under good works. Now jump back to Romans 8 and we'll wrap up to who we are. Romans 8. Verse 37. So we are more than conquerors. And again, this goes back to difficult circumstances that we're coming across. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. Nay, verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. There's no circumstance too big, circumstance too big for Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of that every single day. You know why? Because I'm still here. I'm still getting through these things. There's no circumstance for all of you guys sitting in here that has taken you out. They might have felt too big, but there is nothing too, too difficult to bear with Christ Jesus. Sometimes we forget that or we convince ourselves that we're alone or we convince ourselves that it's just too much to handle and that a lot of times is when we take our eyes off of these things. There's nothing too difficult. We are more than conquerors. The Bible calls us overcomers. We're an overcomer through Jesus Christ. But how quickly we forget those things or we don't even know those things. We don't remind ourselves of those things. And then lastly in this section, forever loved. We are forever loved. One of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Pair of verses. Verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's who we have love in us. That's who we have up in heaven. That's who we have living inside of our hearts everywhere we go. That's who we have backing us in our corner. There should never be a situation that's greater than that. It's like what Jay was sharing when, when, uh, before he was singing. You know, no, Even on your worst day, you can just sit back and say, I'm saved. I love that song, Glory, I'm Saved. At the end of the day... We have a Father in heaven. We have a Spirit inside of us that loves us unconditionally. And there is absolutely nothing, according to the Bible, that can separate us from that love. Nothing we can do, nothing anybody else can do, nothing the devil can do, nothing the world can do. That love is inseparable. So why do we let little things bog us down? Why do we let circumstances tear us apart? So I want you to think, with the things that you just heard of who we are, what are some things that distract you from that? that need to go, that you need to eliminate from your mind because of, your, because of how God sees you, because of your stance with Jesus Christ. Just something to think about. And then lastly, number two, we'll go through these ones a little quicker. Um, what we're called to do. And again, this is the more practical side. So you understand who you are. When you get saved, how God sees you. And again, this could have been an extensive list of probably thousands of things. But how God sees you, who you are once you get saved, and then what we're called to do. All right, we're called to die daily. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. We're not going to look at all these. I love, I think it was you, Stephen, a couple weeks ago talking about the corn seed. How, you know, it becomes something new. It's, it's dead, but then brought to life, and then it's something new, and that thing has to die for the seed to come out. I don't know if you shared that in J.B. Iron here, but just the picture of something has to die for fruit to come from it. 
It's the same thing with us. We have to die daily. We have to die daily to this wicked flesh. Ephesians 4. And then Galatians talks about being crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. 4.22. It says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You got to understand, this is something you do, you have to do every single day. Every day you have to put off concerning the former conversation, that lifestyle, that old testimony that you used to live. And unfortunately, there's probably people in here that are still living that testimony. Put it off. You're making a mockery of the name of God. You're the one when people walk by, they look at you and you say, are you a Christian? In other words, are you a building? What's going on here? Something doesn't look right. You're better off not even having a started foundation in the eyes of this world. You're doing more damage than good. Continue building. Put off that former conversation, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. What do you need to do? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Everything starts in your mind. You know, Job said... Um, I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a woman? Is that what he says? No, what does he say? Think. Everything starts in our mind. That's where it needs to be renewed. And that starts by reading your Bible. As simple as that. Little song that our daughter sings, read your Bible, pray every day. It's that, it's, it's that simple. The simplicity, it's in the gospel. We overcomplicate it. Because we're lazy and there's other things that take our mind. There's other things that we get consumed with and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness. We must die daily. And it starts with a renewing. It starts with saying no to flesh and saying yes to God. All right, and then even a further, little further down, look at verse 26 and 27. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Why? Colon. Verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. The devil is looking for any little avenue he can get into your life. Anger is a big one. Okay? Letting the sun go down on your wrath. Not dealing with your problems. Trying to take your problems and shove them in a closet. Shove them under your rug and not coming to grips with it with God. Not having a heart-to-heart with God or somebody that you've affected uh, in the church, in the body of Christ. Not dealing with those things, you're you're given the place for the devil. And I know you guys have heard this over and over. When you give the devil an inch, when you give him a little sin that you're like, yeah, I got this under control. I can think about that. He's going to take a mile and you're going to be doing things that you never thought you'd do. You're going to make a bigger mockery than you ever thought you would for the name of God. You got to be very, very careful the decisions you make. You know, 1 Thessalonians, we're not going to turn there, 522. Did anybody know that? One of the smallest verses in the Bible. Abstain from all appearance of evil that is the safest place to be we were going through first thessalonians and second thessalonians today in discipleship and i'm like it's interesting you see a lot of what paul's writing and he's not saying a lot of don't do this don't do that it's remove yourself from these situations don't even be near it he didn't have to tell them not to do certain things he was like a step further with those people he was like you know what you're not doing these things but don't even be near them don't even be part of their conversation don't don't be associated with them. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Don't, don't give Satan any foothold. And sometimes that's just even being around the wrong circumstances. I can go to this party, but I won't drink. That you're giving Satan a little bit. 
Well, I can be friends with this person just because they're doing that. I'm not doing that. You're giving Satan a little bit. Every little thing that we justify, we're giving Satan's just sitting back. He's a master at that. You know, I think back to Adam and Eve. Adam not being around, I don't know all the circumstances. Maybe he wasn't leading his wife. He gave Satan a little bit, and he capitalized big time. And he wants to do the same to you. All right, so eliminate the devil's opportunity. Any opportunity you are giving sin to flourish, you are giving the devil an opportunity to grow, to take over your life. Then the next check mark, we're not going to go to Colossians, um, but it's seek things above and live like you believe it. That is a good passage to read if you guys have time tonight, which I'm going to guess you all do. Um, it's a recipe for success in your Christian, Christian life. And ultimately, is it known of you? Is your Christian life known of you? Something I've, I've always asked uh, the junior hires is, you know, if I walked around your schools and I went up to some of your best friends in your school system and I said, hey, tell me about so-and-so, what would be some of the first things they'd say? Would they say, oh, he's, he's a great athlete or, oh, she's a good singer or well, – or would they say, you know, that person, yeah, they're nice and everything, but man, they get that Jesus thing. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, they keep trying to, they bring their Bible to school. I don't know. There's something different about them. What would people at school say about you? Is your testimony known about you? Do they know that you're seeking things different than everybody else? It's not normal for us to seek things above. It goes against the world's grain. This world didn't know Jesus Christ. They're sure as heck not going to know you if you're seeking those things, the things that you can't see. It's a very tangible world. If you can't touch it, smell it, taste it, whatever, according to the world, it's not real. Everything's got to be explained logically. That's why it's called faith. And it's, uh, what's the word? Foolishness to the world. Is it known of you, though? Flip over to Titus chapter 2. Your blank is soberly. Live soberly. And I did a little looking. Sober appears 15 times in the Bible, and it's only in the New Testament. And I love that God uses the word soberly, or sober. Because honestly, when you guys think of sober, what do you guys think of? Come on, sobriety, alcohol. God was not an idiot when he put the Bible together. Live soberly. Verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live how? Soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We are called to live soberly. What's sober mean? Okay, yeah. Yeah. You're... What's controlling your guys' mind? Are you able to make clear decisions? I'll tell you right now, I cannot make a clear decision unless I pray, unless I'm in the Bible. When I'm not in the Bible and I'm making impulsive decisions, my family better watch out because I'm taking us down a weird, confusing rabbit hole, and it's dangerous. When I'm living soberly and I'm letting my mind be renewed and I'm giving time to really have perspective, there's a lot of safety in that. There's no coincidence why soberness is associated with alcohol. Because what does alcohol do? Yeah, it airs, airs your judgment, takes control of your mind. All those drugs. You know, I had somebody make the statement to me, well, the Bible doesn't say that you can't do cocaine. The Bible doesn't say that you can't do this, this, and this. 
And I'm like, well, well, yeah, it's not in the Bible, but the Bible does say to live soberly. You know, you'll read into the Bible. You'll read into the Bible. You'll read out of it whatever you want. Again, God wants people that willingly follow him. If you want to say that, you know, you can do those things, God is going to be like, all right, you can, you can see in the Bible whatever you want to see. The Bible calls us to live soberly, and it's no coincidence that those drugs, they control your mind. And those are, I think, one of the most powerful tools that Satan uses. People have some weird, weird visions. I've heard some stories about people being deeply involved in those things. It's a dark place to be, and it is hard to get out of. Do not dabble with that stuff. You give Satan an inch of that, he's going to take an infinity amount of miles. Luckily, I don't ever do drugs. Good. a boy. And that same message goes for all of you guys. Stay away from that crap. Live soberly. And it's more than just that, okay? How many of you guys are controlled by video games? How many of you guys are controlled by your academics? All these things that consume your mind and they air your judgment. It doesn't just have to be drugs. Anything that's causing you to make a decision outside of what God wants you to do. We're called to live soberly. Clear mind. And I love, you know, we looked at it earlier, renewing of the mind. Clear your mind out every morning so that God can give you clear perspective. All right, and then, uh, uh, yeah, let's turn to Matthew 5. So live soberly, and then we're also called to be a witness. You guys are familiar with Matthew 28, uh, 19 and 20, and then also Acts 1, 8. We'll go to Matthew 5, verse 16. I love this. We live in a, how many of you guys would agree? We live in a dark, dark world right now. What's wrong is right and what's right is wrong. Immorality, the laws are making them legal. So, you know, something that used to be wrong to do morally is now not wrong to do morally. So there's nothing to stop it from becoming a law. Correct? Yeah. Verse 16. Let your light in this dark world that we are living in, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. We forget that. Sometimes we think faith is enough, and it is enough for salvation. I'm not at all saying good works saves you. But it ought not to stop there. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's how you bring glory to God. That's one avenue, by your good works, by letting your light shine, by being a witness of what Jesus Christ did inside of you. By recognizing who you are and recognizing what you're called to do. By being a witness. And then we're not going to look at these. Um, this is almost, these are almost a message in and of themselves. But I do encourage you guys to look at these verses. Um, how many of you guys are familiar with the seven wolves of God for our lives? Have you guys ever looked at that? I know I did a study on it in junior high. There's seven specific things in the Bible that the Bible calls out as a specific will of God for our lives practically. We'll run through them. Uh, We're called to be repentant daily. We're called to be sanctified, set apart, different. Uh, We're called to redeem the time. Man, that's gone out the window. We're called to obey authority. Again, out the window. We're called to be thankful. We're called to have pure motives in everything that we do. And we're called to not be conformed to this world. So I want to ask you, how are you doing in those things? Those are specific commands from God in the Bible that are part of his will daily for our lives. Understand, salvation does not stop at praying a prayer for God to save you. It is a whole lifestyle that should flow after that. 
And understand, again, I'm not up here trying to bash you guys. This is something that I need to hear every single morning. This battle that you guys are going through right now, this battle over your mind, it does not stop. It gets harder, which is why, you know, now's the opportunity when Stephen says, immerse yourself in everything that you can. VBS, missions trips, coming to church, all these things. You will never have more time than you do now. Fill it with the things of God so that you can renew your mind. You can set a nice foundation to build on as your life grows from here. It will never be easier and have more time than you do now. So in closing, we're going to flip over to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to end there. Um, I didn't even put the chapter. I know what it is. Just go to 1 Thessalonians and I'll find it. It was something as we were reading through discipleship today, I said, oh yeah, that's awesome. I want to end with that. Chapter 2. And just a couple questions at the bottom that I'll ask while you guys are turning there. You know, do you see yourself how God sees you? So these things that we went through in, in point number one, who we are, do you see yourself like that every single day? And then the second question, are you living the life He's called you to live? All these things that we're called to do, how are you doing in those things? What are some things that you need help in? There's things that you don't know how to do. Are there sins that you're struggling with, that you need verses to memorize, any number of things. How are you doing? Are you living the life he's called you to live? Because we all have a specific calling. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. So this is Paul talking about his testimony. But we were gentle among you, even as a, I love this, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Very gentle when he was delivering the word, very caring, very loving. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also of our own souls. Okay, it wasn't just words. It was their lifestyle. It was true in their life. Because ye were dear unto us. Do you view people dearly? Do you love people? No matter what they are, no matter who they are, no matter the decisions they make, do you love people? Are people dear to you? Verse 9, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and our travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. What a testimony. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom in glory. For this cause, verse 13, for this cause also we thank, thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. What a testimony Paul had. Yeah. One of the greatest Christians that ever lived. But who's to say you can't have that testimony? All it takes is a mindset. All it takes is perspective. Understanding that this little life that you're in right now, it's going to come to an end. And you do not want to be standing over here in eternity looking back with regret. Thinking about that person at the lunch table. Thinking about that friend that you were committing all this sin with and now they're spending an eternity in hell because you didn't open your mouth. Because you didn't love them. Because you didn't nurture them with the gospel. How many of you can this be said about? And how many of you 
what needs to change so that this can be said about you? What has to go? What habits need to change? So salvation, who we are, how God sees us once we get saved, and then what do you need to do, what we're called to do. I want to challenge you guys, review these things, go over these things, look back at these verses, because this ought to be something that you do every single day now that you're saved. It's more than just praying a prayer. It's a lifestyle that you have to live. That's what's, God deserves that. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. He gave us a manner of love that we can never fully understand until we're spending eternity with him. So would you live with eternity in your, in your eyesights? Think on these things. Let's pray.